Welcome to the Commune College Training Center. You're here to train for the greatest adventure in the history of mankind, low-level podcasting. Now, I know you're probably feeling a little nervous right now, but don't worry. Every astronaut has felt that way some way or another. Even the heroes who went to the moon. But there's one thing that they had that you don't have yet. Training. You're here today for podcast training, the most thrilling experience that any voice sonat candidate will ever have. Before you decide if it's right for you, let me introduce you to your spacecraft, the MP3 Media File. It's powered by solid hydrogen and can accelerate from zero to 6,060 seconds. So when you hear the word go for launch, you'll definitely want to hang on. Now, you've already been organized into teams, and soon each of you will be assigned a position, a proxy, a keyboard, or a hyperlink. The success of your mission will all depend on you working together as a team. I'm Keeble, and I'll be your Capcom. But first, our chief proxy director has some safety instructions for you. Lieutenant? Thank you, thank you. So, I am Lieutenant Proxy, Chief Cat of the USS Commune College. And what we have to do to stay safe is remember to not stick your dick outside the window at any time. Very important. And over to recreation, we have our dear lieutenant, Hyperlink. Hey, what's up? I'm Hyperlink. I'm going to be your uh, uh, relaxation and leisure lieutenant here. Um, I basically run uh, field sports and games out back um, after your main training sessions are completed. Uh, we have foosball indoors on rainy days and outdoors. We have kickball. Uh, we have dodgeball and we do have soccer. That's the thing they don't tell you about podcasting, is that each file is quite big enough due to compression to have a substantial backyard. So uh, go ahead and fill out the sign-up sheet if this is the um, after-training activity that you're interested in. Uh, it's going to be uh, me and we're going to uh, go ahead and do some awesome recreation activities out here. So that's uh, that's sports and games. Thanks, y'all. You heard it here first. Hyperlink is a top now. <laughs> it's been a long year. <laughs> a lot of things have changed for me, and uh, I'm doing really well. So... <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> you know, I may not be a top, but at the top of this episode, I would like to introduce you to the top ick I will be teaching <laughs> oh, you about today. I am throwing myself out the window <laughs> and into the trash can. <laughs> Whoa. But for this top ick we're going to have to go to the bottom, the subterranean layer of a little town in Ohio that I used to be trapped inside. Um, that's right, we're heading back to those hallowed hallways of Cincinnati, Ohio, a place I hope to never return. Um, and we're going to talk about some Cincinnati history. Um, this uh, basically uh, started from some cultural osmosis, one of those little factoids you pick up when you're living in a place like Cincinnati. Um, and as I uh, went through my research, it turned into a colorful cast of silly characters um, who are, are linked together by a shared doom. So I'm excited to explore um, these, these truly unbelievable folks uh, in a story that is pretty unbelievable and I think fits well in the um, the milieu of some of the um, public works um, episodes of the show we've done in the past. Today, we're going to be talking about the uh, unfinished subway currently lurking underneath Cincinnati. So open question to both of you. Oh. Um, do either Did either of you know before right now that Cincinnati is, even today, literally on top of fully built subway tunnels that have never actually run a subway. 
only because you brought it up offhandedly on Commune College once. It wasn't an episode, yes. but you did bring it up once. And before that, I certainly didn't know. I did know about it before uh, doing that episode, but I do, like, I only, like, ever heard about it in passing. I mean, that's that's pretty much how my perspective on this was. I, I knew that the tunnels existed. I, I knew that they were derelict and discarded, and I knew that they were about 100 years old. But that was all. I didn't really know um, what the story of the subway system in Cincinnati was, why we wouldn't go ahead and build something like that, especially like 100 years ago when Cincinnati was still Porkopolis. You know, um, one of the like the things they teach you in Cincinnati, like Catholic school is like uh, in like the uh, 1920s ish time. Um, Cincinnati was like one of the major cities in America due in significant part to its uh, pork industry. Um, it really was like kind of like an up and coming city, but like um, kind of got passed over in favor of places like Chicago and indeed Boston. Um, so that always made me like kind of tilt my head as a kid. I was like, why the hell didn't we do this subway thing that would have totally revolutionized the way that people in this city move around and totally made us like a really dope city like those other cities that I could have been born in. Um, but I got the answer for you here today on Commune College. Um, so basically, we're going to be talking about the history of um, mass rapid transit um, as it was attempted to be developed in Cincinnati from between roughly the 1880s to the 1920s. Uh, during this period, Cincinnati came perilously close to actually being one of the first cities in America to have, like, baller mass public transit. The, the system that they had devised um, was pretty good, um, but the subway itself was never actually completed. Uh, and today, Cincinnati is totally dominated by car travel in terms of, like, the way that people move through the city. Um, and there are few plans um, by anyone within the city to to challenge that dominance. There are a few. We'll talk about a couple of attempts people have made to challenge the dominance of the car. But for the most part, um, if you want to get around Cincinnati, you have to use a car. Um, and since then, you know, this this derelict, abandoned subway system has become, kind of become something between a laughing stock and an urban legend. Um, to kick things off here, I want to share some photos. Literally, if you are able to find one of the few remaining entrances accessible by foot and were to um, trespass into the abandoned subway, um, this is what it would look like. Um, I have two photos here. If uh, either of y'all want to just give like a rough description of what you're seeing here. So yeah, it looks like an unfinished but almost finished subway platform. Um, it's just concrete fittings. It hasn't had any decoration on it. Um, and it looks to have been designed in an era where it probably wanted some decoration on it. There's no subway, there's no actual train tracks on there, but you know, you've got basically the sketches of what's clearly a train platform here. Yeah. And Keeble overall vibe here? Um, abandoned. Just uh, like, it looks like a grouper song in. <laughs> uh, yeah. The second image especially is like. Yeah, this is where, like, one of the most ornate parts of the station would be. You can see this is also where, like, the turnstiles would be, uh, where, you know, you have uh, staircases leading to the outside slash leading down to the platforms. But overall, like, the compass, like, the symmetrical composition of this shot, uh, combined with the, uh, you know, lighting and the grays, just, uh, it's haunted. This is haunted. Looks haunted for sure. So, like, this is... I mean, looking at these photos, money was spent on this. Like, this is an expensive Clearly. thing to build underground. Mm -hmm. So, like, 
what the hell happened? Like, how do you build a subway platform and forget about it? And it's just buried under the earth, like a weird catacomb. Um, so uh, we'll answer this question in depth uh, as we kind of explore this episode of the show. But um, just to kind of set the stage here, I want to turn to the perspective of one Jake Mecklenburg, author of Cincinnati's Incomplete Subway, The Complete History. Um, Jake's really kind of the, I would say probably the world leading expert on uh, Cincinnati's uh, failed subway system. This book that he's written is amazing and a significant chunk of it is available to read for free on Google Books. Um, if over the course of today's episode um you take uh, a shine to this particular topic and want to learn more jake's your guy you should buy his book and read it i'm going to be referencing it um throughout uh the podcast i'll try and make sure that i say when i'm quoting directly from uh jake here uh and there's another book here i'm just going to make sure that i get this person's full name because i only have their last name handy Alan J. Singer uh, called The Cincinnati Subway History of Rapid Transit that I'm also going to be referencing. This book, politically, I think I like this guy less. Some of like, I was giving him the side eye a couple times in the way that he describes some of the characters that we're about to meet in this story. Um, But in terms of like setting together a a, a nice clear look at kind of the political history of this time that we're going to be delving into, um, this book is really helpful for that. So definitely um, check out Alan's book as well. Uh, But uh, Jake's is the real winner here. Um, So I'm just going to read you um, a short little uh, selection uh, from the outset of Jake's book. Um, Essentially, Mecklenburg asserts that the death of the Cincinnati subway, quote, um, well, uh, the Cincinnati subway, quote, was killed by top-down federal policy that ensured the private automobile would reign supreme in all American cities. Another quote from him here, both logistic, uh, this plan was, quote, both logistically and politically brilliant. The circumferential route was not only equitable to nearly uh, all parts of the city, it also promised to be the least expensive American rapid transit project per foot of the pre-war era. The merits of the plan were so self-evident that the electorate, by a margin of six to one, approved a six million dollar bond issue for its construction in 1916. But the rapid transit loop, we'll call it the loop for most of this episode, had the terrible misfortune of being built under financial, cultural, and political conditions so rapidly and radically changed from those in which it was conceived and funded as to only be considered fairly, in their aggregate, to be an act of God. It's a pretty powerful uh, way to start this. I I mean, basically, what Jake is saying is that God killed this subway. Um, But I think that's a fair assessment. And I think that his connection to um, the the rise of the car as kind of like um, a a, a mode of transportation that reigns supreme in all American cities um, is astute. And I think that it totally relates to some of the other things we've talked about in terms of public transit on Commune College. So I think it's a perfect fit for the show. so that's basically what we're going to talk about today. Before we jump into the meat of today's episode, any uh, questions or observations as we get uh, started here? Any potatoes to go with that meat? <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're gonna get some. It's gonna be some squash. It's gonna be some uh, goofy kind of root vegetables. Because um, we this is an entertaining story. Uh, this is this is I definitely can't wait for silly. the radishes to come to life. Oh, me. I'm assuming that whatever whatever vegetables we have go with pork. Oh, given, yeah. given that that's the kind of city we're talking with here, we're in a porkopolis. We're, we're in a porkopolis, but again, there's only one vegetable, and it's actually radishes. Yeah, well, when you hear about some of the corruption going on in, in this city in the 1920s, I think you'll agree that porkopolis, you know, that's a pretty good name. Okay. <laughs> oh! Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, quick political cartoon tear joke for you from Commune College. Um, yeah, but uh, we're, we're never political, never. <laughs> absolutely not ever political. Um, <laughs> so um, basically, before we talk about the subway system, I want to set the scene here a little bit um, because basically the context in which the subway system was devised. Uh, as rapidly as it changed, is both responsible for, like, its rise to possibility and also um, its failure and collapse. So um, both of those things are relevant. So we're going to have to take a little bit of a step kind of back into the past um, before, uh, a couple of decades before um, this project kind of, like, rose to possibility. Um, So we're going to start in the 1880s, the mid to late 1880s, as Singer notes in his book, uh, the 1880s were a bit of a rough decade for the Queen City. I'm going to be calling it Porkopolis. I've chosen in this in this project to only pick the silliest names. So um, for future reference, Cincinnati is Porkopolis. Um, according to him... Oinksville, uh, USA! I- I- exactly. Um, according to Singer, uh, at this time, prostitution, gambling, moita, and mayhem, his words, were at all-time highs. So if you imagine kind of like an, a, a Looney Tunes... Acme Industries kind of environment um, sounds sounds pretty rough and tumble over there. It, it's reminding me of the sort of environment that Jim Carrey would later explore in his groundbreaking movie <laughs> The Mask. We can't we can't talk about The Mask on this show. <laughs> I refuse I refuse to be party to this. Hey, um, this is my fault, not yours. Being, this is your fault. It is my fault. Um, uh, a, a key case study about like how. Um, buck wild and and barely contained the political environment was um, in this time. Um, Singer uh, basically gives a case study of um, some public uprisings that happened as a result of many recent public murders in 1880. People were just out here getting like stabbed and shot in the middle of the day um, and people were really frustrated with um, the lack of like um, political response and the lack of indeed like police response a town hall meeting uh, talking about, like, a public, you know, police-led response to this basically turned into a mob taking to the streets with rope, trying to go down to, like, the jail and hang one of the most uh, recent, like, publicly publicized accused murderers just as, like, a form of mob justice. And then um, after, like, the mob was kind of turned away by uh, Cincinnati police forces the following weekend, uh, people came back and a huge riot broke out. Um, between uh, a mob of, of aggrieved civilians and the police and state militia. Um, over the course of this one weekend, 56 persons were killed and more than 300 men and boys, uh, these are his words, um, were wounded during that terrible weekend. Um, so Singer thinks this is emblematic of like some of the problems with Cincinnati's government in the late 1800s. Um, he also notes that the, that the the government at this time was run by the Democratic Party. Um, and he says that they basically literally ran the city into the ground, um, and there was a lot of social disorder as a result of uh, the Democratic Party's leadership. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, and he makes a pretty decent case for for, for things not kind of working out well during this time. Um, he, he mentions a weak and limited water supply, a poorly expanded fire department. Um, they had uh, there was a proposal uh, for a six million dollar water plant project that would help solve some of these like water supply issues that people were facing in Cincinnati in the greater Cincinnati region, and it was voted down by city government. And all this was happening during a time when Cincinnati's population was exploding. So like basic needs were kind of going unmet, and also people felt unsafe. It was uh, you know uh, a, a prime time for for social unrest. Um, this coupled with newspaper muckraking, um, muckraking rather 
newspaper muckracking uh, basically led to a Republican victory at the ballot box in the next voting term. Uh, a quote here uh, from Singer again. The city needed a new executive, one who could make decisions and bring progress to the city. Cincinnati got its executive, all right, in the form of a political boss in charge of the Republican machine that would carry the city into the 20th century. George Barnstable Cox, a.k.a. Boss Cox. <laughs> boss Cox. So, right. All right. That's, uh-huh. that, that's, that sure is the name of this guy. We do get uh, Boss Cox, um, who appoints himself the boss of Cincinnati. Um, but before we talk about Boss Cox, Singer seems to have some sympathies for Boss Cox. I don't like Boss Cox one bit. But before we talk about Boss Cox, Cincinnati had a shit river. Um, so let's talk about the shit river. Um, Cincinnati had a canal running through the city for transport. But over the course of the entire 1800s, it basically turned to a river of shit. Um, from Wikipedia, the canal was used to transport goods and people from the Great Lakes to the Ohio River, and subsequently the Mississippi River via Cincinnati. Seems like this is probably good for trade and all that good stuff. Um, until the popularity of railroads caused it to become disused. And then the canal became very polluted due to people dumping trash in it and using it as a sewer. Um, the canal became unprofitable by 1856 and was abandoned by the city in 1877. Um, so I just want to show you a picture of this canal in the middle of Cincinnati. Um, because like, how do you abandon a canal that runs basically directly through downtown? Um, Tell that to, like, 50% of Boston that used to be a lake. So, like, take a quick peek here. Like, this is the canal that is disregarded. Um, can somebody describe this map? Um, so, yeah, it goes basically right through the middle of uh, Cincinnati, uh, taking what's now Central Parkway and Eggleston Avenue. Looks like it used to just be a canal. Um Definitely looks like it was planned at a time when this was the main thoroughfare through the city. Like, it seems like it was very intentionally chosen now um in in what makes sense the interstate highway system seems to kind of mirror over what the canal used to be which makes sense if that was the main corridor of uh transport at one point um they have that i also love by the way that uh i'm very not familiar with cincinnati in the sense that i've only stopped there like i've only been in the airport which is not even in the state of ohio it's in the state of kentucky um, but I, I am amused that this map does have a Pete Rose way. Y- y'all still love Pete Rose, huh? Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati makes some choices all the time. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's uh, a, but, that's uh, a gamble. Huh? 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 Um, but, uh, you know, astute point keyboard because the origins of the subway system actually can be traced back, uh, to this putrid river. Um, on September 15th, 1883, this is again from Wikipedia, a, win- a weekly Cincinnati magazine called The Graphic um, basically proposed that this, and their, that the, the graphic called it a dead old ditch. Um, they basically uh, suggested, like, why don't we turn this into uh, a, an unobstructed route for a subway system, and then we can build a large boulevard above it. So you have some, like, above ground stuff, and you have a nice subway system, uh, rapid transit for the city. How cool would that be? Um, the actual subway project wouldn't start in earnest for several more years, um, but this is kind of, this this uh, shit river running directly through the city um, was a, a key part in this whole uh, process. So, back to Boss Cox. 
Was Boss Cox good? I don't think so. Uh, but you know, our our, our dear friend uh, here seems to have some sympathies for him. He points out some good decisions he made. More fire departments, that was needed. Paved more streets, uh, built sewer lines. Yeah, we have a river of shit running through the city, so we kind of need those. Um, better waterworks, you know, addressing some of these problems. Um, but Boss Cox, you know, he was, he, okay, direct quote from him in 1905. Um, I got the best system of government in this country. If I didn't think my system was the best, I would consider that I was a failure in life. Um, and he basically literally appoints himself the boss of Cincinnati. And he, like, makes everyone call him the boss. I mean, that's where he got the name Boss Cox. But he kind of didn't have the best system of government in the country um, because it was, like, notably super corrupt for this time in America. Like, had, like, a national reputation of corruption. Um, some quotes here. Graft and favors abounded and poor construction work sometimes resulted. I feel like, I feel like that's kind of a big problem. It's kind of breezed over in this book, but, like, that can have huge consequences. Um, uh, another quote here. Uh, bonds were... Bonds were issued indiscriminately, which caused the squandering of huge sums of money funded by the taxpayers. Um, in the first 15 years of the new century, citizen groups exposed corruption, election fraud, and scandals in the Republican ranks. The Cox gang had undergone several of these investigations over the years, but Cox had always survived. Um, so he was just kind of a, a corrupt, uh, wheeling and dealing guy. Very cool. Good thing that machine politics don't exist anymore. Oh, totally. And I think we'll see over the course of this, they definitely don't exist in the rest of this story either. Um, so yeah, in like uh, the 1900s, Boss Cox is in charge of Cincinnati and some younger, more uh, liberally minded people are getting upset. Um, uh, Cincinnati uh, was starting to also face a big traffic crisis. So one of like the little known facts about Cincinnati in terms of like the way that it developed in like the 1900s. So like shit was Porkopolis. Like this was like a booming city. Uh, from Wikipedia, Cincinnati was one of the seven most populous U.S. cities at this time and had a rate of growth and economic importance that was similar to that of New York City and Chicago. Um, so this is a city that's absolutely booming, growing incredibly fast, has tons of traffic between pedestrians, horse-drawn carriages, even the first automobiles. It was starting to become a huge headache. So they basically needed a solution. And Cincinnati needed a new mayor to step in and stand up to boss Cox and take this cock down a peg. Cincinnati needed a boy mayor. And a boy mayor Cincinnati would get in the form of one Henry Thomas Hunt. In 1911, Democrats chose county prosecutor Henry Thomas Hunt to run for mayor. Uh, Hunt campaigned against what he called the criminal classes and the so-called Republican organization. Um, he won uh, uh, the mayoral run that he ran for. Um, and in doing so, at 33 years old, um, became a very young mayor. Uh, and according to Wikipedia, um, he quickly became known as the boy mayor. So Henry Thomas Hunt was the boy mayor of Porkopolis, and he unseated Boss Cox. And it was Henry Thomas Hunt who um, ended up becoming kind of like the biggest cheerleader for this nascent uh, subway system. Um, this boy mayor, um, again, according to this uh, History of Rapid Transit book, believed professionals should run the city departments just as trained and knowledgeable people ran corporations. He wanted to make Cincinnati into a great city uh, and proposed tax incentives for new programs. He developed scientific budget making and showed the public the expenditures of all the departments and the services they provided. He also persuaded the voters to pass a tax levy for expanding city services. This sounds very kind of, you know, 
uh, as leftist American politics got in terms of electoralism in that time. Um, you know, increasing taxes, creating social programs, solving some of these problems, uh, un- unrooting some of this boss Cox, boss style corruption. They literally called it bossism in the time. And it was like a whole political movement. Um, and the boy mayor's Wikipedia uh, also briefly summarizes some of his major accomplishments. I've selected a few. Um, he introduced uh, inspections of tenement houses, appointed n- nurses for schools, provided food inspection and dental services for school children, um, and also provided that all children in Cincinnati had a chance to go to school and to Sunday school. Um, confronted loan sharks until they were driven out from Cincinnati, increased regulation and control of the corrupt administration under Boss Cox, and indeed trying to start up um, this rapid transit system project. Um, and indeed, after, um, you know, uh, I think at this time, uh, this boy mayor was no longer the mayor, if my memory serves me. Um, but by 1916, the city council in Cincinnati had authorized a bond issue of $6 million, um, which was supposed to fund a 16-mile subway system across Cincinnati. Um, and, and like, uh, people voted for this. Um, the city was excited about this. This is something that people wanted to happen. Um, unfortunately... Things would change a little bit uh, because of a little thing called World War One, which starts in 1917, just one after one year after uh, Cincinnati's like, let's build this huge uh, subway system. Um, so they had already started construction. Um, World War One happens um, and uh, basically changes the the scope of this project quite a lot. Obviously, they had to like put everything on pause to deal with all that. Um, but by 1919, the cost of building the subway had doubled and then some. Um, and the subway construction that had already been undergone um, also was causing problems. So due to the way that they planned it, it was causing foundations of buildings along the route to crack, um, which caused a lot of people suing them and a lot of litigation, which also slowed down the project. And then a year later in the 1920s, um, Prohibition basically starts over the next few years. In Cincinnati, um, before Prohibition, was selling a lot of alcohol. So now all of a sudden, you know, the finances of Cincinnati are severely impacted. Um, By 1927, funds for the subway project had totally run out with seven miles of subway dug or graded, but no track whatsoever laid. Um, around this time, over the course of this process after World War I, um, we also had, you know, a new political faction uh, rising. This old Republican guard of bossism um, with Boss Cox had been totally usurped by our boy mayor. And indeed, like one or two years after the boy mayor's heroic mayoral victory, Boss Cox um, resigns from politics and then has a stroke and dies. So like... The boy mayor pretty much effectively uh, was so good at defeating Boss Cox that he died over it. Um, So the Republicans were a little bit in disarray. Um, They were kind of waiting in the wings, and they needed a new strategy. Um, Entry an equally silly name, Murray Seasongood, the Charterites. (laughs) Yeah, I know, dog, right? It's it's every single name in the story is fucking whimsical. (laughs) Porkopolis, the boy mayor, like every single detail is fucking silly. Yeah, Murray Seasongood, who is another mayor of Cincinnati. Um, and, and, Where is and, my whimsical HBO adaptation of this? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> this could totally be, like, a, a dramatized series. Um, but he was part of a clique called the Charterites. And basically, between Murray Seasongood, the Charterites, and this new fresh face of the Republican Party um, in Cincinnati, uh, they kind of collectively ensured the death of mass rapid transit in Cincinnati. Um, yeah, the boy mayor uh, lost the 1913 election and Republicans returned to power. Um, so that's kind of the era that we're entering right now. 
I'm now kind of pivoting to Mecklenburg's book here. Um, he has a really good kind of postmortem on uh, the Charterites and Murray season good and how all of this stuff um, impacted the incomplete subway project. Um, basically, he really emphasizes that this was an, an intentional choice um, that, that, that these folks were making um, to invest in automobiles over rail transit uh, after World War One and uh, as we moved into like the start of Prohibition. Um, so... Obviously, Prohibition changed the financial status of Cincinnati, um, but he notes, quote, Cincinnati not only had the financial ability to complete and operate the subway line, but it was also by the mid-1930s the least indebted city of its size in the United States. Instead of being directed toward the completion of the rapid transit loop, railroad proceeds from the also successful Cincinnati Southern Railroad instead were used to pave city streets, and in the 1950s, they partly financed the loop's replacement by the Mill Creek Expressway. Another quote from him here, in the face of quote-unquote free state and federal money for roads, this project basically needed stable political support in order to ensure funding for its completion. But instead of receiving such support, its period of construction overlapped the ouster of Boss Cox's decades-old Republican machine by a group of young Republicans led by Murray Seasongood, known as the Charterites. Um, so yeah, the Charterites were a group of young Republicans. I like looked into where the Charterite name comes from and, like, what Charterites did. It involves, like, the city charter and, like, changing the number of, like, people on, like, a city council and, like, how exactly they get elected. Like, I don't want to get into the weeds of what it specifically means to be a Charterite. Know that they are young Republicans and know that the Charterites, um, uh, specifically led by Murray Season Good, but even after him, are the ones who are really responsible for making sure this project stayed dead. Um, another quote here, during their rise and initial years in power, Season Good and the Charterites did not just attack the administration of the project by the Machine-Controlled Rapid Transit Commission, but they also spread misinformation regarding the subway's physical character and inserted doubt about the line's utility into the public consciousness. Upon taking the mayor's seat in January 1926, Season Good picked a fight with the Rapid Transit Commission and shifted public interest away from the Rapid Transit Loop. Um, and indeed, uh, you know, he notes later in this passage that following Charterites, will continue this strategy. When people ask questions about like, hey, what the hell happened to our subway system? We have all these tunnels built under the city. Um, you know, are, is this thing ever happening? They would they would continue season good strategy of mischaracterizing the parts of the line that existed. I'm paraphrasing uh, again here um, as of dubious quality and, and prioritizing road projects, which had more federal funding, aka money from the federal government to build roads as part of like the highway system um, instead. Uh, yeah, so... Um, the, the very, very, very start of his book, he, he quotes a hit piece from the Charterite era that sums up this attitude of how this misinformation about this project was spread. And, and it really, I, I, it's, it's really interesting to read with all this context. Like, here's the kind of things that were getting printed in, like, the press and talked about in public at this time about the subway system. Not only was it built extravagantly, but the part already built is inefficient and inadequately designed. It's designed for a different gauge than our streetcar system. Oh, by the way, Cincinnati also had an above-ground streetcar system, so, like, seems like a subway system would be a natural extension of that. Um, here's what the newspaper's printed. It is designed for a different gauge than our streetcar system. Even if the gauges change, surface cars are too light to operate at high speed in the tunnel, and subway trains are too heavy to operate on surface rails and our, surface rails in our streets. In other words, the whole thing is a botch which is falling into disrepair. Um, Mecklenburg notes that every detail of this passage is at least misleading, if not entirely false. And yet, similar articles uh, and, and things with a similar tone to this were widely reported at this time. Um, further, uh, the CincinnatiSubway.com, which also has like an hour-long documentary about the Cincinnati Subway, if you're interested in watching more content on this. I didn't watch it, but I'm sure it's good. Um, explicitly states that Season Good made it his goal 
their words, his goal to stop rapid transit construction. Uh, quote, the subway was a project of the previous administration, uh, that is the boy mayor, uh, and was seen as an impediment to charter right reform. Um, uh, also, The Verge did a really, really great um, feature uh, r- directly interviewing Mecklenburg uh, and, and really going with him into this derelict subway system. They like fully like trespass and urbex into it with a lot of great photos. Also worth checking out if you don't want to read his full book but want to hear some of his thoughts. Um, and I have like a, a, a quote here um, about kind of how this project was um, casted out by the Charterites. Uh, quote, the rapid transit loop became a symbol of the old machine's corruption and cronyism. Uh, and now a quote from Mecklenburg in this article, it was at its core a work that would have benefited the public good, even though it was conceived and built during a period of boss rule, Mecklenburg says. The project was undermined by a reform movement that disguised itself as grassroots, even though it was orchestrated by the area's blue blood families to take back control from a machine which rose from and was comprised almost entirely of men of lower class origins. Um, you know, taking like a kind of like socialist look at this, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, the construction of, you know, a uh expensive yes but highly useful to the average person and probably pretty affordable mass public transit system that kind of equitably moves throughout the entire greater cincinnati area would have been really awesome for the city's lower classes but um accepting money from the federal government to build roads for free um probably benefits the uh his words blue blood families a little bit more as they try and wrest back control from our more progressive boy mayor um again mecklenburg goes into so much more detail in his book about this um so definitely do check that out um but uh yeah it's pretty good and i think pretty damning overview of the 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 multiple factors um that that kind of coalesced to kill this project it wasn't just world war one it wasn't just a prohibition it wasn't just uh the charterites it was like this like conflagration of one thing after another back to back to back that ultimately led to um the city choosing to invest in roads for automobiles um personalized privatized transportation uh rather than a mass public transit solution um and uh basically resulted in the few tunnels and stops that were constructed um laying derelict under the city with no tracks constructed in them um it's kind of a sad story when you look at it that way um and definitely i think speaks to like um you know the the political uh environment of of you know um both i think cincinnati and also like america um throughout like the 20s and 30s um yeah it's pretty pretty not great um but you know attempts to execute um mass public transit in cincinnati definitely didn't stop there although they were so uh, mecklenburg in his book you know is really optimistic um he's hopeful that like he he basically emphasizes that like despite all of these newspapers printing shit like oh like the tunnels are, are collapsing like the, everything isn't good um oh my god uh these subways are are too big for the tunnels and it's not good like like the the, the plan itself to build the subway um was good the boy mayor um the, the boy mayor had his schemes i almost forgot the boy mayor's schemes so the boy mayor had schemes the boy mayor um basically um commissioned a bunch of like groups of experts to build different plans for the subway um which were called schemes and then they were kind of like revised down to a plan the the plan the boy mayor went with um was a good plan these these subways were going to work well um but uh you know uh, uh basically mecklenburg is hopeful that you know the existing um work that's already been done on the subway system can be expanded out into you know full rapid mass transit in the greater Cincinnati area um but at this point i think it's really unlikely as we'll see 
So I'm going to talk now about some of the attempts to revive this project. Um, uh, some of them more successful than others. Some of them more ambitious than others. All of them kind of disappointing. Um, you know, as as early as 1936, you know, the city in Cincinnati was thinking like, oh my God, we've got these like huge ass tunnels under our city. What the hell are we doing with these? So um, the city commissioned the Engineers Club of uh, Cincinnati, which is apparently a thing, to produce a report on how to use the unfinished tunnels. Um, they said there was no other use for them, basically, and that they, quote, should be forgotten. Um, that's from Wikipedia. Um, and from 1939 uh, to uh, 1940, automobile traffic, uh, streetcar, and, and trolley options for the tunnels were all investigated, um, resulting in this riotous quote from Wikipedia. The report recommended placing all streetcar and trolley transportation underground, i.e. a subway, but Cincinnati already had too many other expensive public projects underway. In any case, the plan was put on hold yet again when the United States entered World War II in 1941. It's, like, everywhere this project turns. Like, they literally, like, they spent 20 years thinking about it, and the report's like, what if we, um, put trains underground, and then people could get on them, and it would be sick. And so now he's like, that could be fucking cool, and then the United States is like, World War II, and they're like, fuck. So, um, it, it basically happened again. Um, yeah, uh, that happened, you know, then basically we skip forward, what, 50, 60 years to 2002. Um, 2002 was like the next best chance to have mass rapid transit in Cincinnati. Um, uh, basically, uh, and this is from, uh, this is from Mecklenburg's book again. In 2002, Cincinnati's voters had a chance to resurrect their incomplete subway, a ballot referendum called Metro... Oh, no, this is from uh, The Verge, rather. Um, this next uh, selection is from The Verge here. In 2002, Cincinnati's voters had a chance to resurrect their incomplete subway, a ballot referendum called Metro Moves, which would have created an extensive light rail system incorporating the three remaining 1920s-era subway stations. So um, this was a pretty ambitious plan. It built on the existing work of the 1920s-era project. Um, uh, but... And here's the kicker. It would have required Hamilton County, which includes Cincinnati residents, to improve a sales tax levy to cover the costs of a half cent. And just like earlier, uh, just like back in the day when uh, the the Republicans of the time did not like, uh, you know, investing in, in, in public good, um, basically uh, this project was comprehensively voted down hamilton county residents rejected metro moves in a two-to-one vote with over 68 percent voting against the project so people did not want to pay that half cent um to have an amazing public transit system in their city um that isn't to say uh that cincinnati doesn't have any public transit in it today um building on like it's kind of like streetcar legacy um from way 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 back in like the late 1800s um cincinnati did just recently construct a streetcar in downtown it's like pretty small but like it is running now i remember when i was living there like literally through middle to high school it was all anyone could talk about like is a streetcar actually going to happen is a streetcar and hold again um it, it basically also faced about a decade of political opposition before it could finally be constructed um, it's a much shorter loop. It's above ground, um, but it does take people around the city. And uh, due to the COVID crisis, they've actually made fares on it free, which is kind of cool. Um, so the Cincinnati streetcar does exist. But since I moved out of Cincinnati, um, it's also apparently been renamed. Um, apparently, as like a, a way to help offset the cost of building this streetcar, name rights were sold to a local cell phone and communications and internet company called Cincinnati Bell. So now it's no longer the Cincinnati streetcar, but the Cincinnati Bell Connector. 
And I did go ahead and find the press release where they announced this name change. And here's some awesome uh, quotations from it. Oh, joy. The Cincinnati Bell Connector will play an important role in connecting residents, workers, and visitors to their jobs and the tremendous entertainment opportunities from the banks to over the Rhine. Our mission at Cincinnati Bell is to connect people with what matters, whether it's through our technology or through projects like the Cincinnati Bell Connector that will enhance Cincinnati's thriving urban core. Uh, And then Ken Black, the co-founder and director of operations for for advertising vehicles, we are thrilled to bring this joint opportunity to fruition for both the city of Cincinnati and Cincinnati Bell, one of the city's finest, long-standing corporate citizens. Very cool stuff. Um, very, very cool stuff. Uh, one last quotation here that I wanted to highlight uh, was from The Verge one more time. The Verge um, uh, reporter Andrew J. Hawkins, who, uh, you know, kind of did some digging around in Cincinnati, specifically thinking about, um, you know, this, this project and, and mass rapid transit and, uh, the dominance of the vehicle, I mean, of the car uh, in Cincinnati, um, spoke with Michael Moore, uh, the city's head of transportation, um, back in, I believe this article is from 2016. Yes. Uh, Michael Moore, uh, who is the city's head of transportation in 2016. Um, this quote here really caught my eye. When I asked Michael Moore what he was doing to encourage people to ditch their cars for cleaner modes of transit, he disagreed with the premise of my question. I don't think it's important to get people out of their cars, he says. I think it's important that we offer people choice. So, um, you know, I think it's pretty fair to say that the death of this project, um, due partially to the unfortunate timing and circumstances of World War One and Prohibition and all this bullshit, and also the Charterites and the Republicans at the time with their uh, corruption and reluctance to um, build this infrastructure, didn't just doom this project, but it, it doomed Cincinnati to, you know, a transportation future that, like many cities across the United States, is totally beholden to the car as a mode of personal um, transport. The entire city has basically been developed around it. Um, and, and you know, uh, the the derelict tunnels underneath the city um, that now some people are brave enough to kind of, like, go into and explore um, kind of serve, to me at least, as, like, a haunting reminder of the Cincinnati that we could have had. Um, you know, it's just a bummer that it all worked out this way. Um, I think cars are bad. Um, I think that they should finish the Cincinnati subway system. I think that'd be sick. And they've already started like, uh, just do it. Um, but, but here's my real thought on this. I, I think that, you know, um, we can look back at history and we can learn a lot. You know, we're also living through an unprecedented era of corruption. And, you know, we're also living through a, a lot of, um, you know, unrest. And when I look back at the story, I see one shining face and that is the boy mayor of Porkopolis. And I think what's going to solve this today, folks, we need a new boy mayor. I think that we've just, we just have been totally down and out on our Not recently. voting for fucking Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's the wrong, he's not even a boy mayor. Is he even a, is he even, well, how old is he? When he was a mayor? When was he a mayor? What would he say? How old was he when he was elected mayor? Because I feel like that's what, that's what qualifies you as a boy mayor. I want date at first election. So he was born in 1982, and he was elected in 2012. Okay, so he was, he was 30. 30. He was 30? He was 30. Wait a minute. 
he was 30 years old, but when Cincinnati's boy mayor was elected, he was 33. This dude is a younger boy mayor. Those extra three years of experience really made all the difference in the Cincinnati case, apparently. You know what? I take my entire analysis back. I don't, I don't think we need a boy mayor anymore. Because if, if we are going to pick a boy mayor... If we pick a boy mayor, this this guy is going to be the guy we probably get, and I don't want him at Either all. Either that or they'll build some kind of ice dome. Yeah, yeah. He'll, build, he'll build some kind of, like, indoor fucking winter sports arena and then bankrupt the city. I, I, I just, I, I searched for both uh, Pete Buttigieg and boy mayor in quotes, um, but I found this article from MarketWatch. Colorado's town's new mayor is a four-year-old Bernese Mountain Dog. This is a boy mayor that I can get behind. Uh, is he corrupt? That's a good boy mayor. Because I feel like a dog could be easily corrupted by treats. Yeah. The treat lobby yeah. could really get to a Burmese mountain dog. That's true. And this dog has 16,000 Instagram followers. So like clout as well. I mean, like, I don't, I don't trust this dog either. Hmm. I think we should. Wait, hold on. I have an idea. What if there was a, a a young... So we're defining a boy mayor as somebody who's, like, under the age of 33, right? Well... Yeah, or, or exactly 33. Well, I know of a uh, a person from the Cincinnati area who seems to have a deep caring about Cincinnati issues who happens to be the best bottom I know, and I feel like a bottom could handle underground subway issues fairly well. I'm, of course, you, you said that you hope you never return to this city, but what I'm proposing is that you return to fucking run it. Well, here's the problem with that. I, I would have been so eligible last year to be the boy mayor of Cincinnati. Since then, I'm not a boy. So, like, that's going to be a major limitation. <laughs> Your gender is my, boy my mayor. Eligibility. Uh, One word, boy mayor. <laughs> changing my twitter at to them boy mayor it's oh your gender is sash based you like have to wear a sash like the like the like the mayor in uh powerpuff girls absolutely wow i think that i would be a dog shit boy mayor but i would give him my i would give it a go <laughs> at the very least i would revive the subway project that's all you can ask for really that would be your boondoggle yeah. project you would be the the, the dennis kucinich of subways absolutely absolutely um, just go from town to town, uh, just, you know, introducing rapid transit systems. A, a, a truly a monorail guy for the new era. Damn. Um, yeah, but that's kind of what I have um, prepared today for Commune College. It's kind of like a rough history of, you know, the rise and fall of the Cincinnati subway project and, you know, the loop in Cincinnati. Um, any thoughts here as we close out? Like, I thought this was a riveting story and also it does tie into a lot of other topics that we've discussed on the show before, uh, namely both public transit and 1920s Republicanism. Yep. Because boy, oh boy, 1920s Republicans. I do want to note that we did have a chance of having another boy mayor of Cincinnati in the 70s, but his career was his career rise was hampered. Um, and I'm, of course, referring to uh, former Cincinnati City Council member and current well-known TV personality, Jerry Springer. Oh. Who very well in an alternate reality could have been the Democratic boy mayor of Cincinnati in the 70s had he not been forced to resign after a controversy involving writing a check to a prostitute where the memo line read, services rendered. That's hilarious. It was a very funny scandal. 
Well, you know, maybe we're not thinking big enough. You know, we're kind of here on like a, a, a podcast for furries that's listened to by people, you know, at least to several people. If you're listening to this episode of Commune College and you're in the greater Cincinnati area, uh, I, I highly, I, I really implore you to just go through the city and find an eligible boy mayor. Um, somebody, you know, pure of heart with a glimmer in their eye who's ready to, you know, be be extremely precocious and very young and ready to build some, you know, rapid mass transit infrastructure in this uh, conservative town. Now, what chili would they prefer? They gotta be a Skyline freak because if they're into Gold Star, I don't trust them far, then I can fucking throw them. Go back to Grader's dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting to the important heart of the matter. <laughs> I just love how immediate that was. <laughs> also, so Grater's is like a, a, a local ice cream chain. I, I, I need to keep that in the, in the back of my mind in case somebody from Cincinnati tries to step to me. Go back to fucking Grater's. Yo, Grater's <laughs> ice cream is the shit, though. No, I want ice cream. What the fuck? Damn. What flavors is Grater's doing these days? This is now becoming a Cincinnati culture podcast. I love how it just says shop mothers. It does say shop mothers day here. And by the time this episode comes out, mothers day will have been long past. Yeah. Unfortunately, because you know what else will have long passed by the time this episode comes out. My 30th birthday. And then you couldn't celebrate mother's day because it's my 30th birthday. And I'm the podcast mom. (laughs) Well, it does give you still three more good years to become the girl mayor of Cincinnati. Shit. Shit. Fuck. I don't want to go to Cincinnati. I don't want to be the girl mayor. Well, don't you want to live in a tunnel? I've got a tunnel where you could just live right now in Cincinnati. It's right underneath Race Street. It's got a beautiful entrance. Let me talk about tunnels, like abandoned train tunnels some more some other time on this podcast i have a few fucking plans you've only told one abandoned train tunnel story that i know of on this podcast yeah uh i told one actual still operational train tunnel story and it was a ghost story why is everything haunted today a scary day so i hope this doesn't haunt the rss feed like haunt all the other episodes it's not even an october app Although, given our release schedule, it might be an October app. <laughs> well, for Commune College, I guess I'm Keeble, unless anybody else any other questions. No, I'm just on the Graders website, and they have a, their chief of retail operations is the fourth generation member of the Grader family. And they named this dude, they know he's going to work at the ice cream shop. They named him Chip Grader. Oh, that's pretty, like, that's, that's a, really a good. That's really good. Chip Joe. He's going to be looking down the barrel of a lifetime of chocolate chip jokes. Oh, but he loves it. Look at his face. Are you sure, dog? I think there's a thinly veiled pain behind those eyes. I don't know. I, it seems to enjoy the ice cream enough. I mean, that's a smile of a guy who likes ice cream. He's he's having the, the you know, the, the double chocolate chip flavor they've got there. You know, they're the Madagascar vanilla bean, the, the s'mores, S apostrophe mores. I, I think he's having fun. This is why I imagine the uh, women laughing with salad feel like when they're taking those stock photos. Yeah, they're happy because they're thinking about ice cream. Salad ice cream. Uh, coming to you live from salad flavor ice cream, I'm Proxy. It's still Keeble. And I'm Hyperlink. Your training is complete. Thank you. All right, dismissed. But before we dismiss, we should probably clap sync again. Yes. Yes, we should. Three, two,
One. Cool. Yeah. Ah. Uh...